Good to see all of you this morning, especially our college students who are back with us. It's really good to see you guys. Um, if you are a college student here today, we have a gift for you. Uh, there are some brown bags on the back table um, over there. If they run out, we have lots more up here on, on this table over here. So if you are a college student today, please take one of those with you on your way out. It's just a welcome back to campus, um, help beat the winter blues kind of gift for you. So uh, please grab one of those. We, we would love for you to do that. Uh, this is my first time preaching in like seven or eight weeks, so let's see how this goes. Shake off the rust a little bit. Um, I want to talk about good news this morning, which um, that phrase in and of itself is nearly an oxymoron today, right? Good news. Seems like every piece of news that we have is not good. Um, but good news is something we talk about in the church quite a lot. And I want to ask you this morning, um, what good news might be to you? Maybe it's something very, very deep, very spiritual. Maybe something that's very, very surfacy, a little shallow, maybe even a little silly. University of Michigan football won the national championship. I think that's good news. <laughs> we might be the only people in this room, Marty. Uh, so uh, let me ask you, what is, what is something that you think is a piece of good news? What, what, sorry, what was that, Meg? The sun is out. It's not warm, but the sun is out. It's snowing. <laughs> My friend My friend is here. Divine healing. Anybody else? What's a piece of good news? God can take bad things and turn them good. Allie, what was yours? I missed it. Getting to sleep in. Anytime I can do that, that is good news. We all have good news. Some of those good news are, are, are little flashes um, in the day of something good that happens. Some of them are deep things that we, we hold on to and we carry with us. We want to begin this year talking about good news, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Mark features very, very heavily in the liturgical readings for this year, in the lectionary readings that we sometimes base our sermons around. So you're going to see Mark pop up quite a bit throughout 2024. And we're going to spend um, from now until the beginning of Lent, the next um, five weeks, I think, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, specifically in Mark chapter 1. We're just going to hang out in Mark chapter 1 for the next few weeks and uh, take a look at that piece of scripture and see what it has to say to us about the good news. Let me give you a little bit of background on the gospel of Mark. Um, Mark is, is the second gospel in your New Testament, is the shortest gospel in your New Testament, and I think that Mark is probably the first of the four gospels in the New Testament to be written. Marty and I disagree on this. Marty thinks Matthew is first. Just because it comes first in the New Testament does not mean it was written first, okay? <laughs> now, Marty has his reasons for why Matthew is written first. There's some ancient testimony that suggests that. Uh, there's some modern scholarship that suggests Mark. And I wanted to say this in order to tell you this. It's okay that Marty and I disagree about this, right? We can still be friends? Excellent. Marty, for those listening on the recording, Marty nodded his head and said we can. <laughs> Uh, and, and I just want to remind you that back in October, we, we talked about disagreeing about spiritual things, right? That we can disagree and still find unity, and that's important. I just wanted to remind us of that really quick this morning. Um, 
Mark, uh, we don't know exactly who wrote it. The early church thought that it was a friend of Peter, a disciple of the apostle Peter, Mark. Maybe even that this uh, gospel was dictated by Peter to Mark. We, we have no way of knowing, but the early church thought that that might be the case. It appears um, to many people as though Mark is designed to primarily be a spoken gospel, and that it was written down later, that it kind of started maybe as a performance piece, um, as a way to share the, the good news about Jesus um, uh, uh, with, a, with an audience just like this. It takes about two hours or so to, to present Mark um, audibly. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that today. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, or whoever wrote it, or whatever order it was written in, Mark definitely has a purpose for his gospel, and it is to talk about good news. It's right there in the very beginning. So let's dive into the Gospel of Mark. I want to take a look at the first 11 verses of Mark uh, together this morning. Uh, here's how it goes. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son. The beloved, with you I am well pleased. According to Mark, this is the beginning of the good news. This is where good news starts for Mark. Mark skips completely the nativity. Mark has no birth narratives. We know nothing about Jesus as a child. We know nothing about the flight to Egypt. We know nothing about Jesus in the temple. Um, Jesus comes as an adult onto the scene in the gospel of Mark. This is where we begin in Mark. Here is Mark's good news. And what is his good news? In these 11 verses, I want to suggest to you that there are three things that are good news to Mark that are good news for us. Because if it's good news then, I, I want it to be good news now. And I believe that if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what was once good news is still good news. And so I want to share with you these three pieces of good news in the first 11 verses of Mark that I hope you will be able to take with you uh, today to be good news for your life. And the first one is this, that God is at work. This is the first piece of good news. God is doing something. There is this idea that floats around in, in some branches of theology and philosophy and metaphysics um, from time to time that the that the universe, the cosmos, as we understand it, is something like a wind-up clock. 
and that God in the creation wound the universe and then set it on his cosmic mantle and then left to go do something else. I don't know what he's doing, but that's the way that the theory goes. That God essentially set the universe in order, let it start, and it's been running since creation with God not really paying all that much attention to it. I reject that. I reject a God that is far away from us. The God of the Bible is not a God that is disinterested in his creation. The God of the Bible is not a God that is disinterested in his people. And the God of the Bible is not a God that is disinterested in the events of humanity. The God of the Bible is a God that is near to us. He is a holy God. He is a transcendent God for sure, but he is also an imminent God. He is a near God. He is a personal God. He is an interested God. He's a God that cares about his people. He cares about suffering. He cares about liberation. He cares about healing. He cares about salvation. He cares what happens in human history. He cares what happens to individuals. He cares what happens to nations. God is a God who is present with his people. And because he is present, he is at work. A God who is present but does nothing is not a God that I am particularly interested in. A God who is present but does nothing is a callous God. A God who is present but does nothing is, is a God that does not care. But instead, the Bible tells us that we have a God who is present with us and is active. He's doing things. And so Mark's new message of the good news is that in Jesus, God is doing something with these ancient promises that he has made. This is how the Gospel of Mark starts. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, and then Mark immediately quotes Malachi. I'm not kidding. The first half of that quotation is from Malachi. The second half is from Isaiah. All right? Apparently Mark was too busy to, to give Malachi any credit. But uh, he says, according to the prophet, and then he quotes Malachi and Isaiah and says, God is up to something. This is what I'm doing. I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He's going to proclaim your way. He's going to be a voice calling out in the wilderness to people make straight paths. And then John appears on the scene. God is up to something. And if God is up to something in the ancient world, then God is still up to something today. I believe that with all of my being. The promises that God lays out in his scripture are still active promises for God's people. Many of them have been fulfilled in, in the ancient times. Many of them are still to be fulfilled in the future, and some of them are being fulfilled in you and I today. This is part of the good news that God is at work. By the way, the word good news... Uh, is the same word that we get the word gospel from. That's something that you may already know. But the word gospel and the word good news in the Greek are the same words. Uh, they are the word euangelion. I'm going to do my best Marty impression right now. Say euangelion. Yeah, see? Doing my, my, that was good. Good. Marty gives me... Excellent. Uh, 
Euangelion is the word for good news or gospel. It's a fairly common word in Greek and in the Roman culture of this day, and it has a fairly specific meaning when it's used. Most people in the day of Jesus, when they heard euangelion, would know that this um, word, this good news, is about what Caesar is doing. Not what God is doing, but what Caesar is doing. And so there would be these people, they would go out into the world. They were called preachers, by the way. They were the preachers of the empire. And they would proclaim, they'd get up in the town square and they'd say, Euangelion. Oh, Caesar's up to something. Caesar is doing something. What's Caesar doing this time? And the, and the Euangelion, the good news of Caesar could be we've conquered another people. Or it's time for the annual games or your taxes are going up. Because anything that came from Caesar, by the way, is good news. Doesn't matter what you think it's good news. If it came from Caesar, it's good. And so anytime Caesar had a pronouncement to make, the empire would send out good news. The ancient world also understood that good news could sometimes not just be from Caesar, but about Caesar. The imperial cult was established um, to worship Caesar as the son of a god. And so periodically, the, the Roman preachers would go out and say, Euangelion, good news, Caesar is the son of God, and it's time to worship him. And so this is, this is how the ancient world understood this idea of good news. And here comes Mark, and he says, good news about something else. This good news is not about Caesar. This good news is not about your taxes going up. This good news is not about another war. This is the good news about God. This is the good news that God, the ancient God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of Israel, the God of the scriptures, is a God who is still at work and he's keeping his promises. Good news. God is with us. Good news. God is among us. Good news. God is doing something. And that's still good news for us. Good news. God is doing something. What in particular is he doing? Well, this is the second piece of good news. In Mark chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Not just that God is doing something, but that that something is that God is drawing near to you and to me. Good news. God is drawing near to his people, and we can draw near to God. Good news. That is good news, that we can have a relationship with the God who made us. We can have a relationship with the king of the cosmos. Good news, you can come near to God. John proclaims a way back to God. He comes and proclaims baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That thing that was separating us from God, that thing that was keeping us from God, our own brokenness, can be wiped out and repaired. The thing that was, that was damaging the relationship, the thing that was pushing us away from God can be taken care of and mended. We can draw near to God. The Gospel of Mark says that this message that you could draw near to God, this good news that you could come near to God, uh, you could be baptized and have your sins forgiven, found wide acceptance. People from all of the Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem were coming out to see John and to be baptized in the Jordan River. Lots of people 
uh, resonated with this idea of good news, that they could come near to God. I think that that's still good news today. I think that's still a message that will resonate with people. That there is a God who loves them and you can come near to him. I think that's a piece of good news that we need to carry with us, that we can draw near to God. Because God loves us. And then John, or Mark's gospel shifts and says that in those days, as John was proclaiming that, Jesus appears. And here's our third piece of good news. That not only can we draw near to God, and not only is God drawing near to us, but God has come to be with his people. God has come to be with his people. Jesus appears and he too is baptized. Um, the other gospels that record this activity, the other gospels that record the baptism of Jesus, go out of their way to tell us why Jesus is baptized, and it's for a different reason than what John is telling everybody else. John says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and this is a baptism of repentance. In the other Gospels, Jesus comes and, and John says, I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, we need to do this for uh, the fulfillment of all righteousness. That information is missing in Mark. I don't know why. But for some reason, in the Gospel of Mark, if Mark is the only Gospel that you have, Jesus comes and he too desires baptism. He desires a close relationship with the Father just as we do. And so he is baptized in the Jordan, and something happens in that moment. Something amazing and unprecedented happens in that moment. Mark uses the words in Greek, torn asunder, that the cosmos is divided. Mark is the only one that uses that phrase. And it's such an amazing phrase that that all of reality is split open for a moment. And in that moment, the Spirit of God enters into the picture, right? He saw the heavens torn apart, and the Spirit descended, and the voice of God speaks. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Here is this final piece of good news. There is nothing separating us from God anymore. God himself has come into the world that he made. He has split open the thing that separates his world from our world, his plane of existence from our plane of existence, and he has stepped into it. His spirit, his son, his voice is in the world. God is with us. This is good news. This is unlike Caesar's good news. This is unlike any empire's good news. This is unlike any nation's good news. This is unlike any corporation's good news. This is unlike any good news that we have ever heard before or will ever hear again. God is at work. There is a way to draw near to him, and he is with his people. That is good news. As a, a total aside to this, by the way, I love that um, when God speaks to Jesus, he says, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. As far as Mark is concerned at this point, what has Jesus done in his life? According to Mark's story up till now. N nothing. He showed up. Yeah. 
He's, he's just, he's there, and God says, great, I love you. I am well pleased with you. I, I want you to hear this, because this is amazing to me. This is not the point of the sermon, but it's so cool, I can't, I can't not do it. God is pleased with his child before his child does anything to please his father. And that's not just true for Jesus. That's true for you and me too. God is pleased with you. God loves you before you have done anything to please him. And that's amazing to me. I've talked to so many people over the years um, as a pastor and talked to them about coming to Jesus and drawing near to God. And I don't know how many times in my life I have heard somebody say, well, yeah, I want to do that, but there is something in my life I feel like I need to fix first. I have to do something, and then I can come to God. That is not the good news. In fact, that is the opposite of good news. If you have to do something before God accepts you, that's not good news. The good news is that God loves you before you do anything to make him love you. God just is pleased with his child and with his children. That is good news. Well, all of this good news that God is at work, that we can draw near to God, that God is with his people, that God loves us no matter what, all of this good news takes place in the context of baptism in the Gospel of Mark. So let me talk about baptism just for a minute. Maybe you have already received Christian baptism in your life. If that is the case, then I want you to know that, that in that event, in that moment, in that and that gift that was bestowed upon you that you participated in, at whatever time in your life that happened, that this is a moment where you and God draw so close together that you meet each other in the most profound way. That in Christian baptism, we are, we are changed. We become different people in Christian baptism because we have met God there. Christian baptism, baptism is one of those, um, it's one of those thin places in the universe. Uh, do you know what I mean when I say thin place? It, it's, a place it's a place where God seems more real. It, it's a moment where, where the supernatural and the natural seem to, seem to mingle together. Some of those thin places are actual places. Um, there is a, a place in southwest Michigan just outside of the town of Niles, it is, for me, a thin place in the universe. It's the home of Michiganic Christian Service Camp, and, and for years, from, from the summer of 1996 until the summer of 2001, I served there, uh, 2021, sorry, I served there as um, a camp counselor and a director for junior high and high school weeks of camp. And I have met thousands of students and gotten to pray with thousands of students and, and had um, moments of worship and moments of teaching. And, and there were times where we'd just sit out under the stars and we'd look at God's creation. We'd listen to the cows in the field and on the farm next door. And, and we'd, just, we'd just take in the creation of God. And we'd sing songs to God. And we'd put away our phones and we'd put away our TVs and we were just there for God. It was a thin place in the universe. It's where I met my wife. We were both working there. Sarah was an employee. Eventually, we ended up being on the same team of directors for high school camps. It's where I got married. 
It's a thin place. It's a place where I feel close to God. Maybe there's a place like that for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's out in the woods somewhere. Maybe it's in a chapel. Maybe it's, maybe it's at your home church or, or in the house you grew up in. Or, or maybe there's a quiet place in the house you live now. Maybe there's a coffee shop that feels like a thin place. You're close to God there. Maybe your thin place is not an actual place, but maybe it's a, a book that you read again and again. A quote that helps you center yourself, you keep coming back to, a song that you listen to, and in that moment, you're just in the presence of God. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing is one of those for me. It's another thin place. I love that we sang it this morning. There are places where, where we are nearer to God. We feel nearer to God. One of those thin places is baptism. One of those thin places is the communion. It's why baptism and communion are celebrated throughout the entirety of the church as sacraments, sacred spaces. Not sacred things we do, but sacred spaces. In those spaces, in the space of baptism, in the space of communion, we are nearer to God than we are at virtually any other moment in our lives. And so if you have received Christian baptism, hang on to that. Carry your baptism around with you, no matter how long ago it happened, whether it happened as an adult, as a teen, as a child, before you can remember, hang on to that. Carry it with you. That thin space connects you to God. God is at work. You can draw near to him. He loves you. Baptism is proof of that. If you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to consider it. I want you to invite you to consider Christian baptism as a place where you can draw near to God, where you can accept the promises that God is at work and that he loves you. Baptism is something that has been celebrated in the church for 2,000 years and before that in the nation of Israel. When John comes on the scene baptizing people, this is not a new thing. People know what John is doing. There are ceremonies that date back thousands of years that have to do with water. Going all the way back to the tabernacle, when, when God is giving instructions for how the tabernacle is to set up, a water is part of that instruction. In, in Exodus chapter 30, we read these verses. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 17, um, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall make a bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. And with the water, Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to make an offering by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a perpetual ordinance for them, for him and for his descendants throughout their generations. From, from ancient times, there was the idea that that God wanted to cleanse us from the things that separated us from him. He wanted to cleanse us from our sins. Water became a symbol of that. It's not literally that we need to wash ourselves before we come to God, but the water symbolizes the cleanliness that God has given to us and the cleanness that we have promised to God. In the New Testament, Peter talks about this. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. He says this about baptism, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, 
but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the water that does anything special. It's Jesus that does the work. The water's the symbol. The water's the thin place where we come face to face with our Messiah and our Creator. And so if you've never received baptism, I, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you into that thin place. I want you to know, I want you to know and be able to carry with you throughout the rest of your lives the good news that God is at work and that you can draw near to him and that he is with you and loves you no matter what. I want you to be able to hold on to that promise with every single thing inside of you. And I believe that, that baptism is a way to do that. It's a picture of Christ's death and resurrection imprinted upon us as we go through on the sacrament of baptism. Is that something that you want? Come and talk to me. Talk to Meg. Talk to, talk to other people in the room. We'd be happy to talk to, about you. Talk to you about baptism. Don't want to talk about you. We want to talk to you about <laughs> baptism. I told you, it's been eight weeks since I preached. Baptism is this wonderful thing. It's a way to become a participant in that good news about Jesus. Our world is filled with a lot of news. A lot of things that claim to be news that are not. A lot of things that tell us that they're newsworthy. Uh, I feel like I see the words breaking news on a near hourly basis in, in my world. I don't think everything can be breaking news. Our world's filled with so much news, and very, very little of it, honestly, is good. But we have good news, and we can be the bearers of good news. We can carry this good news of God drawing near, of us drawing near to God, of God's love upon us, of God's work. We can carry this good news into the world, this good news about Jesus. And as Mark tells us, this is just the beginning of the good news. There's a lot more good news to come. So over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to explore the gospel of Mark and find out what more good news Mark has for us. But in the meantime, right now, in this moment, in this place, we come to the table. Another thin place in the cosmos. Another place where we get to meet with God. Another place where we're reminded of the work of Jesus and of his love for us. We're reminded of his death and his resurrection. This table is good news. And every time we come to it, we participate in it again. We take that good news of Jesus into ourselves to make us ready to be good news out into the world. So in just a minute, you'll have an opportunity to come to the table um, and take bread and to take juice. There's gluten-free bread here if you need it. And take those things back to your seat. When everybody has had a chance to come to the table, we'll take those things in unison. Before we do, uh, it is our habit as a church to come uh, to a moment of confession. To remind us that we are not um, as we ought to be. We are still works in progress that even though we are drawing near to God and God is drawing near to us, there is still work that needs to be done on us and in us. 
And so as we come to the table and we hear the invitation of Christ to his table, it's not my table, it's not the church's table, this is Jesus' table. And as we hear his invitation to come to his table, to take the bread and the juice and to remember him, uh, we come um, and we confess that we need Jesus. So if you are willing, uh, would you please join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, and say with me this confession of the church from ancient times handed down to us today. 